the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out among his very last words, It is finished. To show that everything that would need to be done for us to know his love and to love like him had already been accomplished. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're continuing our series on those words of Jesus. The Bible is all God's word, but in Scripture we find those red letter words, the words that Jesus spoke right out of his mouth. Last week we looked at probably the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16, and its context where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's in that context that Jesus told Nicodemus, and he tells us, you must be born again. And here's the reality. Some of you have spent this week wrestling with God. The Bible in the Old Testament tells us about a character that wrestles with God. And you've done that because God was speaking in your life. You felt that nudge of his spirit, and you began to know that you needed to be born again, but you've not yet taken that step. Today could be the day of your salvation, and that's my prayer for your life. But there's others of you that are just saying, what does God say to me? What would his words be into my life? And today, when we look at the words of Jesus, we see some of his last words. The reality is there's only three discourses of Jesus that we find in Scripture. Three long passages that are more like sermons. Probably the most familiar one is called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 records that. This would be part of that last discourse of Jesus. He's gathered with his disciples, those he knows the best, and you could say he loves the most, his closest friends. And he knows that he's headed to the cross. He knows that the end of his life is imminent as they know it, and he gathers them together, and he says this, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Last words are very, very important. 
Those were the words of Jesus from John 13, 33. Hudson Taylor founded China Inland Missions. It said that as he was dying, in his closing days of life, he says to a friend, I feel so weak. I can't read my Bible. I can't even pray. I can only lie still in God's arms like a little child in trust. Isn't it interesting that he thought even as you die, you come to Jesus as a child just as you begin that life with him. It was Thursday, December 21st, 1899, after he cut short a Kansas City crusade because of his health that D.L. Moody turned to some of his family and said, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I'm useful. But when my work is done, I want to be up and off. The next day, Moody awakened after a restless night. In careful, measured words, he said to his son, Earth recedes, and heaven opens before me. His son, Will, concluded he was dreaming, but Moody said, No, Will, this is not a dream. It is beautiful. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. Some of you know this is the second Father's Day we're celebrating since my hero, my dad, my mentor and pastor, my father, entered into his eternal reward. He had a stroke at the end of August of 2019 and went through nine months of a very difficult health challenge. Early in that process, as he was still able to communicate clearly, while he was in ICU, I was looking at him and I was just saying, Dad, I love you. I want you to know how much I love you. He had not really said much at all. And he looked up and he pointed at me and he said, love your mama. I'll never forget those words. Some of the last really intelligible words my dad said to me. Well, these were the last words of Jesus. Not his very last words at the end of his life, but this was the last time he gathered with all of his disciples. And and what did he say? Love. Love one another as I have loved you. He said, that's how people will know that you're a part of who I am. Not because of your religiosity, all the rituals that you do. We learned last week when we look at Nicodemus' life that you could be very religious. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, perhaps the best known follower of the law in all of Judaism. And yet, he was not born again. You can be religious and not be regenerate. It's not about your religion. All of my life, it seems like I've watched people who gather in churches argue and debate about worship styles. What should we sing and how loud should it be and what should we wear? And is that what defines us? Is that the mark of a Christian? Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, it's not even our defense of doctrine. What we believe is vitally important, but I watch across the Christian faith as folks who profess to know Jesus separate from each other and divide and and demonstrate that they don't know how to get along over secondary and what we would call tertiary issues in their faith that are just not that important. That's not how they know we're Christians. 
It's not even by our obedience. While that's important, we will live the obedient life if we're in love with Jesus. He doesn't say, if you do this and if you do that, they'll know you're my followers. He says, by your love, that's what will prove that you belong to me. That's what I want us to get today. This new commandment of Jesus. Did you hear that? He said, this is a new commandment. How can that be? Because God is love. How how could love be a new thing? Did he not love the people in the Old Testament? Of course he did. This morning, as it has every morning, the sun rose. The same old sun. But the sunrise was different today. If you saw the sunrise today, you would see it from a different perspective. And that's what Jesus was saying. And that's my prayer for you. If you've walked into this building, if you're listening to these words, there's no doubt you would expect that God wants you to be loving. But I want to pray that today you hear this in a new way, a fresh way, that you walk out with a different perspective. So let's pray that right now together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we've gathered and we've worshiped. And now we open your word for one purpose. We want you to speak. And we need to hear from you. So once again, give us what we do not have. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we've not yet become. So that the world might know we belong to you. God, there's no doubt in my mind someone will hear these words and yet they can't embody this love because they've not yet begun that relationship with you. They're not yet born again. So save someone today. Help us understand that all the religion, all these other things in our life mean nothing if we've not been born into the family of God. Just as at our birth we were born into sin. So change us today. And Lord, give us that fresh perspective of your love. Help us to love as you have loved. So give me the words to say and even the thoughts. You're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the reason I'm here. May that be evident as we go forward for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus gives us new command. A new command I give to you, love one another. But before he gets to that point, he shows us what that love looks like. So look at chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration... This would have been at least the third Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. They knew the drill. But it's interesting, you know, in those verses I read a moment ago, at the end of the chapter, he says, dear children. Maybe Jesus looked at his disciples like children, and a child at every Passover celebration would turn to their parents, and they would ask this same question every year. What is different about this night? 
What's special about this night? Could it be that the disciples, as they gathered with Jesus, they could tell that he was acting different as they gathered for the Passover? Could it be that they said to him, what's different about this night? And could it be that God is saying that to you? What's different about this moment? Could it be that God has brought you to this place at this hour in this moment so that he might speak and do something fresh and new and different? It says Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And before I continue, I want to talk about that phrase, his hour. We've heard it before. We first heard it at a wedding, the wedding in Cana, where they ran out of wine. Remember that? And Jesus' mama came to him. <laughs> she said, son, you have got to do something. And he said to Mary, my hour has not yet come. Now, this tells us a couple of things. First, it tells us that Jesus knew why he came. And you go around the world and people, even of different religions, can look to Jesus in admiration and give you different reasons for why he came. They could tell you that he came to be a great teacher or to be a great model, to give a great example. And Jesus did all of those things, but none of those things are the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came, he said, to seek and to save the lost. What does that mean? He came so that he might pay the price for your sin, that he might take the punishment for my sin, that he might die on a criminal's cross, that he might enter into a tomb, that he might be raised from the dead so that he might offer us by his grace forgiveness of our sins that we might have life. Jesus knew his purpose. Quick question. Do you know your purpose? Do you know, I mean, you weren't created by accident. God God put you here on purpose, for a purpose. Have you discovered what it is he wants you to do? There's a second thing, though, about that phrase, he knew that his hour had not come. You know what that tells me about my God? My God always knows what time it is. He's never caught off guard by the circumstances in our lives. You're going through some things, some of you at this very moment, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through it? Well, what am I going to make of these circumstances? And we have to remember that the things that surprise us never surprise our God. He knows your address. He knows what time it is. And he's in control. And then it goes on to say he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. This is how we know these were among his final words. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew 
a word which means to fully comprehend, to understand, to know with all of your being, as the old country preachers would say, with every fiber of your being. He knew. There are some things in your life that God wants you to know. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, what had taken place just prior to this moment? The disciples were in a debate. Does anyone know what they were debating? Surely it was something important. Surely it was like, uh, explain the virgin birth. Or or surely it was, uh, how do you preach like Jesus preached? Or surely it was, this is the way you do that miracle, right? Wrong. What were they arguing about? Which one of us is the best? Who's the greatest? You know what I've noticed all my life? Disciples of Jesus, we still do that, don't we? We posture, we position, we platform, try to make ourselves look better. That's kind of the number one thing about social media, isn't it? Let's take our picture or let's put our life out there in the best frame possible. You know, Jesus was illustrating something. He had just heard them arguing about who was greatest. But it says here in John that Jesus knew all authority had been given to him. He had authority over what? What does it say? You can see it. It's on the screen. He had authority over what? Say everything. He had authority over everything. If you know who you are, you don't have to prove who you are. Do you hear that? If you know who you are, you don't have to prove who you are. Most of the time when pride takes a hold of our life and we find ourselves positioning and platforming and, and trying to push ourselves out there, it's not because we're secure in who we are. It's because we're insecure in who we are. And insecurity takes place because we don't understand our identity. And that's why the New Testament spends so much time in so many of the writings of Paul. He talks about our identity being in Christ. If I understand that everything I need and everything I have is in Christ, then I have security. If not, man, I'm going to be out there arguing, trying to find my place, trying to position myself and using a posture that looks like I have authority. Jesus did not do that because he had authority. And so what did he do? He got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. This passage teaches us a lot. It teaches us about what Jesus knew. It teaches us about what Jesus did. It teaches us that Jesus was motivated by love. Remember, that's how he's going to end it. Look down at verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Love each other. Say love each other. But how, Jesus? How how do we love? 
even the smallest child who would gather with us today would know that we should love. But how do we do that in a, in a world that's so divided, in a world that is filled with hate and discord, in a world where everybody is, is looking to position themselves in a camp? I'm black or I, I'm white or, or I'm Republican or I'm Democrat or I'm, I'm wealthy or I've climbed out of poverty. We, we want to put ourselves in a camp. And, and yet God says to us, no, don't be known for any other label be known for your love. Just as I've shown you that I love you. I want to give you just two things I think that Jesus does to demonstrate what that love looks like. Here's the first one. Love does. It's as simple as that. Love does. Love is an action. Yes, we can feel loved, but love is so much more than a feeling. Remember the actions of Jesus in verses 4 and 5? It says he, he got up, he took off, he wrapped, he poured, he washed, he dried. Love is active because love does. It's not simply a, a feeling that we express on a, a card, a good sentiment. Many of us today will be glad to receive cards that tell us that people love us, but love is more than that, right? Love is seen in what we do. Love is seen in our actions, Love is described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read that in a moment, but I want you to understand the context. He's writing to a church, so it would be like a people of, like us. A people who are not living the way they should. They're calling themselves Christians, but they're very divided. They're, they don't really look like the church should look. And some of them are using the gifts, even the abilities God's given them to kind of position themselves and to make them look better. And Paul has just told them, hey, I don't care what you do for God. If it's not motivated and driven out of love, it's like a percussion player standing at a cymbal and just banging the cymbal and doing nothing but clashing and banging on that cymbal and making noise. That's what you're doing. And I look at the Lord's church today, not our church, but the global church. And I I think there's a lot of clashing of symbols, a lot of noise that's being made that doesn't look like the love of God. How, how do I know that? Because Paul tells us what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It, it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices wherever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It, it endures in every circumstance. That's what Jesus was trying to say. And, and that's clear in the point he makes as John continues to record the discussion of what takes place. Look at verse 6. So then when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? And here's Peter. We've grown to love him, right? Because all of us can see ourselves in Peter's life. All of us have blown it. All of us had open mouth and inserted foot. All of us have said things we shouldn't have said. And all of us have had those moments like Peter had right here when we thought we know better than God. We've got it all figured out. And so Peter says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing. But someday you will. 
No, Peter protested. No, you will never, ever wash my feet. I know better than you, Jesus. I've got this figured out. Now, this was a big deal because any home you would walk into during those days, there would be foot washing. That's kind of weird to us because we don't really do that, right? I mean, hopefully you take a bath or a shower. You wash your feet occasionally, but not every time we enter a house. In those days, there would always be someone at the door, usually a servant that would be at the door. And when you'd walk in, you'd take off a sandal. You would dip it in the basin or they would pour water over you. They would then take the towel and they would dry your foot. Then you would take your sandal off and do the other feet. And then with clean feet, you would walk into the home. But this day, in the place of the servant, there was Jesus. And Peter did not like the look of this. And then I would say when we begin to love like Jesus, there will be others around us that don't like the look of it. And so Jesus then responds, unless I wash you, you will not belong to me. And then Simon Peter, always impetuous, he, he says, then wash my hands and my head well, as well, Lord, not just my feet. In other words, give me a bath to you. I mean, if i got to be washed to know you, wash everything. Once bathed, always bathed. That's what I need, uh, Jesus. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.